listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly masterclass interviews on topics to help you make your first or next step in business the right one. I'm your host, Alex Sanfilippo. In today's chaotic world, it seems that none of us can avoid toxic thoughts, depression, or anxiety, but we shouldn't settle into this mental mess as if it is our new normal. Today's guest is both a communication pathologist and a cognitive neurologist. Those are two titles that I have never used before in my life. Her name is Dr. Caroline Leaf. She is the world's leading expert in mind-brain connection. Dr. Leaf tells us that there's hope and help available to each of us and that the road to a healthier thought life and peak happiness may actually be shorter than you think. For links to resources that will be mentioned during this episode, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 086. Now get ready to learn how to clean up your mental mess. Here is my conversation with Dr. Caroline Leaf. Dr. Leaf, welcome to the Creating a Brand podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to join you, Alex. It's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, really excited to have you here today. Actually, my wife introduced me to your podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, around the same time I launched this podcast about a year and a half ago at this point. Oh, wow. And since then, we've both been been huge fans of your work. And if I ever miss an episode of your podcast, she's sure to bring me up to speed on, on what I missed. So oh, thank actually, you. I'm so honored. Yeah, wow. of course. Of course. Yeah. You've actually been on our, our radar since that time to have on the show, which some of the listeners might be wondering, okay, why are we talking about mental health on a entrepreneurship podcast? And I think it's because so many entrepreneurs actually just kind of skip this. And we kind of, instead of actually dealing with the mindsets that go along with entrepreneurship, because as you know, it can be a little bit of a lonely road. Sometimes yeah. you're doing some things for a long time. It's your creative work that you're serving the world with. And it's not necessarily seeing a lot of traction, but you're watching others around you that the world's promoting saying, look how good this person's doing and look how fast yeah. this person's succeeding. And you can feel left in the dirt. And really all that the, the only remedy that this industry really offers is motivational quotes and uh, success stories from people that have already been there, which really gives us a great spike of dopamine and keeps us moving, but doesn't necessarily deal with any of the mental problems we may be creating as entrepreneurs. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you can't, I'm an, first of all, I'm an entrepreneur. So yeah. I have my own business. I've had my own business for 38 years and I only worked for someone for um, a year and a bit. And at that same time, I started a private practice and I started a business. So everything you do, if you're an entrepreneur, you're using your mind. If you're a human, you're using your mind. So you can't even separate mind from entrepreneurship because if you're alive, you're using your mind. And if you happen to be an entrepreneur, you're using your mind to be an entrepreneur. So what I teach people to do is actually understand mind, what it is, how it works and how to manage it so that you can get the most out of it. When it comes to the mental health side, if you're human, you're going to go through challenges. I mean, we all know you, you talk about this in, in your work, Alex, we talk about when these challenges and how you can you actually have a quote where you can waste time and and money becoming an entrepreneur and that's and, and that can cause stress and anxiety and all kinds of things and that's mental health so every single person battles with mental health so you, just because you're an entrepreneur it doesn't mean that it's a separate discussion and this is the, the mistake that we've made and this is why I've written right why I do what I do and why I've written my most recent book cleaning up your mental mess is to show you that if you human you on the continuum of life you're experiencing life whatever it is that you do with your parent husband wife entrepreneur work for someone you are using your mind and we need to we make messes all the time with our mind and we've got to learn how to manage our mind and direct our mind because the way we use our mind will then determine the functionality and the health of the brain brain and the body because the mind and the body are separate and but inseparable and if i also just want to round that concept up with this to help people understand mind is that you can go three weeks without food 
You can go three days without water. You can go three minutes without oxygen, but you don't even go three seconds as a human without using your mind. So that's what I'm trying to help people demystify. What is mind? How do I work it? How do I manage it to get the best out of my life? I love that. And this this new book that you have, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, was was phenomenal. I absolutely enjoyed it. You actually had a chapter in there that we're probably not going to get too deep into, but where you actually shared some of your research from it. And I really like that. It made me feel a lot smarter, Dr. Leaf. After I read it, Good. I was like, I'm, I feel pretty intelligent now. You know, I think I think a lot of authors would just maybe skip putting that in, but I found it very helpful. So um, I'm that so book, glad. Yeah, that, that book is, is phenomenal. I recommend the listeners to pick it up if you're really curious about this topic, which is one we all should be. And we'll definitely dive into some of that today. There's actually a quote that you mentioned near the beginning of the book that I want to just quickly mention because it, it kind of startled me a little bit. But you mentioned that for the first time in decades, the trend of people living longer has actually been reversed due to lifestyle related diseases. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because that really kind of floored me when I heard that. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you actually focus in on that. It's a great place to start. Because essentially, what has happened is for the for decades, we've had um, the trend of people living longer has improved. So people are living longer and longer and longer. But this trend reversed in between 2014 and 2015. So from, from now, since then till now, and it's until we change this, it's going to be a problem. It means that now people are dying younger instead of living longer. And people are dying between eight and 20 five years younger than they should. They first noticed this in the mid-90s and they started doing population studies. And it, it's been a tremendous shock, as you can imagine, to the scientific and medical community right. that how can we, with all our advances in medicine and technology, and how can we going backwards? So we're going forward with that, but we're going backwards with mind management. So why that's happening is because they 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 say that they, I'm giving you the broad, the broad picture, that it's from preventable lifestyle diseases. So people are dying, they call it deaths of despair. People are dying from deaths of despair and then they link that into the opioid crisis and they link it into the increased suicide and that kind of stuff. So if you think of it, if someone's taking a drug, if there's a, or they're addicted to something, it's not that their brain is causing that. It's because they, they've gone through something and they're trying to use a drug or something else to actually suppress that. And, and that's where, so it's not that you get hooked to the drug, you get hooked to the pain that the drug is hiding. And so we've got to relook really at, and so, so people are, you know, people are dying younger because their access to medication is, is very strong and people are not being allowed to deal with their mind. So we've moved in, uh, sorry, and then all that increases our risk for cardiovascular issues. And a lot of these, not just opioids, but psychiatric drugs, antidepressants, etc. they shorten people's lifespan. They, they create iatrogenic problems in the brain and the body, which is medically induced, drug induced changes that shorten your lifespan. Also, we've become with technology, we've become more sedentary, and we don't eat as well. And with the um, the changes in, in food, um, in the last 50 years, people eat more processed food. So all that combination is causing people to die younger. But all of that's driven by one thing, and it's driven by mind. My decision to eat X, to take that drug, to not deal with my trauma, to not exercise, to not know how to manage my stress or just not manage stress is all mind driven. So if we understand our mind and how to drive our mind, then we can understand how to make better decisions about everything in our life, managing the stress, managing the trauma, managing the diet, et cetera, et cetera. And that will then reverse the trend again. So people are dying because we're not using our mind. And that's really the bottom line reason. And that's causing, I mean, just, just having a mental health label because of it, it, it as a mental illness increases your chance of dying, but you can whack on another 20 years, you know, so people are, it, it's not, so 50 years ago. So the summary of this, of this question is that up, 
up to 50 years ago, we still looked at the whole person. We didn't just look at their biology. For the last 38 years specifically, there's been a trend enough to focus just mainly on the biology. The brain's become so dominant. I'm a neuroscientist. I've studied the brain. It's like everything's reduced to the brain. But the person's been forgotten. So if someone's depressed, they get a disease label of depression, as though depression's a disease or a chemical imbalance, which it's not. There's no science behind it. It's just a good marketing ploy. And suddenly the person's story has been taken away. And when you take the person's life, their story, their mind, out of the equation, people will die younger. So whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're whatever you are, you have to bring mind back into the equation or you fall into that same risk category. Now, Dr. Leaf, you know I'm not a doctor myself, but if I'm understanding here, you're basically saying that there is a difference between our minds and our brains. Am I right in understanding that? And I think to finish the foundation, we have to Absolutely. really explore that, correct? Absolutely. And it's it's the it's the first thing that we need to understand in this because mind, the brain has been studied, the body's been studied, we've had a very biological focus. We're really good at understanding the importance of exercise, um, eating healthy. There's so much research around that. But there isn't the same amount of research around mind. And mind is considered the hard question of science. But actually it's the most obvious question. Because if you're alive, you're using your mind. The fact that we're talking, we're both using our mind. The fact that you're listening, there's people listening, you're using your mind. The fact that you that you are breathe that you're not dead, you're using your mind. If if you are awake, you're using your mind. You don't even go three seconds, as I mentioned, without using your mind. So if your mind is the thing that's always working, you don't eat all day long. You only eat sometimes during the day, but you're always thinking. Like you're always breathing. If you stop breathing, you die. If you stop thinking, you're dead. Mm -hmm. So so if you stop using your mind. So mind is this force. It's it's and, and we it's it's okay, let me start like this. Mind, the most basic definition of mind is how you think and feel and choose. Those three words. You're always thinking because you're always thinking, you're always feeling. And because you're always thinking and feeling, you're always choosing. So when you think, you feel. When you think and feel, you choose. So those three go together. I'm holding up three fingers. Think, feel, choose. Think, feel, choose. You are always thinking, feeling, and choosing. And that thinking, feeling, and choosing is this inner force that we have. We can understand it through using quantum physics and electromagnetics. Um, there's people who've won Nobel Prizes on understanding the gravitational fields at that and the forces that we generate. The most simple way of trying to understand the this, this mind on a physical on, on a sort of scientific level is that if you if you think of um, taking iron filings putting them onto a piece of paper and then putting a magnet in the middle so you put a magnet on you did this at school where you put a magnet on a piece of paper and then you drop iron filings and then the iron filings arrange themselves into those little shapes you know like little uh, circuits that is a an electromagnetic reaction so we're generating that our, our mind is that force that actually goes into the the brain and the body, and then the body responds, and the brain responds. So the brain is the physical substance. The body's the physical substance. It's all the cells and the and the structures, etc., the heart, etc., that makes so it's physical. It's tangible. You can touch it. Mind is we have to use things like quantum physics and electromagnetic magnetics to to understand it and gravitational fields. But every human has this unique force that we generate, and and that uh, that force that we generate, then we express that through through our brain. So brain's physical, mind is non-physical. Mind is think, feel, choose. Brain responds to mind. So the mind moves through 
the brain. That's what's happening right now at 400 billion actions per second. You are thinking, feeling, and choosing in response to what I'm saying. And that's causing a whole flow of energy through your brain, which causes a chemical change in your brain, which causes a chemical change in your blood, which causes your DNA to change, which causes protein genetic changes to happen. And you're doing all of this and you're transforming what you're hearing and seeing into little trees in your brain made of dendrites and that and quantum vibrations. I mean, that's the most simple version. So what I do is take the mind, the sort of psychology stuff, which is all mind, and I link it back to science and link the two and show the relationship between the two and then show you how to apply that every three seconds. That's literally what the neurocycle is, which is the concept that I've developed over 38 years that I talk about in, in all my work and in my latest book. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, I, I was I was thinking back about to all your books. I know I, I think you have eighteen, or is this your nineteenth? I lost count. This, yes, this is the nineteenth. This is the nineteenth. Yeah. Congratulations! <laughs> and I know that the big, so the overarching theme of all of it has been this this connection with mind. And I love that this has been just at your heart for so many years now. I think it's amazing, and it's really showing in this book. I have to admit, I've not read all of your books, but this one I know does a great job, really explaining it in a way that people can understand, and even practically make some changes that will really transform their mind. And you, you have a quote, actually, I believe it's in the second chapter. And you talk about how we can't effectively improve our lifestyle or hope for changes to be sustainable until we learn how to manage our thinking. And I think that this is something that you're really helping people with with this book. So I'm really excited to dive into what you just mentioned, which is the neurocycle. You have five steps here that, that you dive into. Do you mind sharing those with us today? Absolutely. Um, if I may start by just saying, I'll say what the five steps are, and then if I may just diverge for a moment into a little bit of the science behind them. Is that okay? Definitely. Let's do that. That sounds great. Okay. So, the, so these five steps are how you manage your mind. So even though they're simple and you'll recognize them, I will then sort of go into a little brief explanation of the science behind them. And then you'll see it in the book. You can get it in detail in the second half of the book. So if for 38 years, I've been trying to understand mind and trying to help. I practice clinically for 25 years and I've done brain research now, mind brain research for 38 years. So this is a something that I've spent many years trying to understand. The five steps grow out of what we call the science of thought. In other words, if you, if my, and, and the science of mind, the science of thought. So you, as I mentioned earlier on, mind is how you think, feel, choose. And the five steps is how you manage that. So the five steps is basically a process you go through that you can add any therapy technique, any technique you've developed. It's not a technique. It is a vehicle. It is a process that when you use it, you're driving your mind to be effective. So you are using your thinking, feeling, and choosing your mind to control your mind, which is fascinating. So you're actually thinking, feeling, choosing is mind. And you use that, your thinking, feeling, and choosing to deliberately use the five steps, which is then um, using mind, using mind, and then that changes brain. So mind is how you think, feel, choose. And it's so obvious that we don't, we miss it. It's so, it's so easy to, to look at the brain and to, to eat and to do exercise and you can see the Im immediate impact. But when we think about mind, we, we, start, we don't recognize that we, we say things like emotions, thoughts, feelings, um, uh, motivation, um, being an entrepreneur, all of that's mind. All of that's the way you, you're an entrepreneur and the way I'm an entrepreneur is, is related to how uniquely you think. In other words, your mind and my mind. Dr. Leaf, this point is worth expanding on before we jump into the five steps. Can you talk a little bit more about how our minds are changing? So our mind is always changing, every experience that we have. So 
from the time you open your eyes in the morning till the time you go to sleep, you're experiencing life. And that is, and you're experiencing it how? Through your mind. So every every conversation, every email, every text, every business relationship, every conversation with your wife and friends, everything, the time you read your news, watch watch a movie, all of those that's life and that all of that's processed through our thinking feeling and choosing which then pushes it through the brain and then we build it into the brain and then we speak and do from what we've built so mind is how we experience life so if mind is how we experience life we're always experiencing life in a different way each day there's some obviously these familiarities but it's still always different there's each experience yes you may have a routine but it's it's still a little bit different every day and then there's the things that happen in between so if you're experiencing life every day that's through your mind and your mind's always changing that and your mind moves through your brain that means your brain's always changing and we call that neuroplasticity which most people are familiar with now i did some of the first neuroplasticity research back in the 80s when they still didn't believe the mind the brain could change they we were told brain couldn't change, but I knew it could change because we change as humans. And obviously that's a, it's a sort of logical. Only in the 90s that they accepted that, um, well, there was a few of us scientists working in the late 80s and 90s showing neuroplasticity. Now it's accepted. So your brain's always changing. Your brain is never the same. From moment to moment, it changes. Every time you recall a memory, it comes back into the conscious mind. It changes and goes back different. So nothing's the same about who you are as a human. So your mind's always changing, your brain's always changing. So my argument in all my work is that if this is the case, can you control the process? Can you can you control how you think, feel, and choose? And can you control how the brain changes? And therefore, can you change, can you control your behaviors? Which means obviously then can you improve them? Can you improve your cognition, your intelligence, your social and emotional, which then translates into your entrepreneurial skills or whatever it is, you, your relationships, et cetera, et cetera. So those are down the line. Being an entrepreneur, in a, being in a relationship, being successful at what you're doing, being not successful in life is coming it's like the other end it starts with mind first so if we don't direct our mind our mind's always going anyway then you leave it to chance who wants to leave something to chance that you actually have the ability to control so all my work and this, this book really captures it is in how to help people control that and most of the time we make a mental mess and it's okay embrace the mental mess if you're a human it's all a process of experimentation you have an you have an experience you try it it doesn't work it's not me it doesn't mean you're a failure it means that there's you now know what doesn't work and that's what i'm trying to help people shift that a mental mess is not a, a bad thing it doesn't mean that you're an evil person or that you're a waste of time or that you have to have shame or guilt you can take the shame and guilt that you feel and make it work for you. You can take the anxiety, the depression, the frustration, the irritation, the terror, the whatever, and you can actually take all of those emotional warning signals and make them work for you and not against you if you know how to manage your mind. So mind management is done through the neurocycle. And the neurocycle has, after 38 years of profound, intense scientific neuroscientific <laughs> research, right. I, and and because five steps sounds so simple, but I want to tell you that's why I put science in my book. That's why I put the research in the book where you can actually look inside the brain and you can see the impact on the DNA and the blood. And I have graphs and I have publications and things, but it's a simple version in the book. I want you to understand when you do these five steps, they're not just some little woo-woo things. They are how you can actually change your mind and change your brain. We'll get right back to today's episode, but first, can you do two things for me? 
First, if you're enjoying this episode, please share it on your social media or share it directly with somebody that you know that would also benefit from listening. Secondly, please visit creatingabrand.com free to join the Creating a Brand Inner Circle. This is where I share exclusive content, including online courses, how-to videos, and other resources focused on helping entrepreneurs go further faster. By doing these two things, you are helping me reach and serve more people. So thank you in advance for your support. And now let's get back to today's episode. Again, to quickly recap the five steps of the neurocycle, they are to gather, reflect, write, recheck, and then active reach. Dr. Leaf, do you mind explaining each of these in more detail for us today? So the first step is to gather awareness. And I use the word specifically gather. If you think of gather, it's not just a random being aware. It is a very purposeful, very directed, very controlled, very embracing process. If you think of gathering your children into your arms or gathering your wife into your arms or gathering um, your apples into a basket, it's an embracing process. And what we see from neuroscience and from mind-brain work is that when you embrace, when you gather, and what do you gather? You gather your emotional and physical warning signals. You gather, how am I feeling? What are my emotional warning signals? And what is my physical, what's going on in my body physically? As you directly and intentionally do that, what you're doing is you're shifting, you're bringing thoughts into the conscious mind and that creates, makes them changeable or malleable. You're making the brain change by controlling it. So if you're unaware, it's it's changing, but it's changing in a way that you're not controlling. So whatever's toxic is controlling you, which is the rumination and the frustration and going, not moving forward and, you know, getting depressed and, and getting stuck and, 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 and stuck and whatever. But you can control that. You can say, okay, I gather awareness of the depression I'm feeling, of the anxiety I'm feeling, of the terror I'm feeling, of the I don't see those as scary. I see them as helpful messengers. They're they're alarms, they're warning signals. And as I embrace them, I then become aware of them in my brain neuroscientifically, they've now become weakened. So the protein bonds, the chemical bonds, the quantum vibrations, the genetics, everything becomes accessible to change. If I don't embrace then you have no control over the change. It actually gets more toxic or more you get more controlled. So if you want to control, you have to embrace. And you have to embrace with um, in, in a way that you actually say, tell yourself it's actually okay. If we have, in the current language of mental health, and we, we, if someone is depressed, then it's seen as an illness. But that's not science. It's not an illness. It's not like cardiovascular disease, heart disease, or diabetes, which is an actual physical ailment that we can identify biologically in the body, and we can we can we can do things about it. We can diagnose. We can test. We can treat. Depression is, and if two people have depression, you can't say that they have an illness because why are they depressed? There's no neurobiological correlate. There's no biology. There's a change in the brain. But, but, and that's a response because the brain is a responder. But what is that person's story? Why are they depressed? They have to embrace that depression and gather awareness of it and see it as a warning signal, as a symptom of an underlying cause. Right. This is a really important point. I think that we should expand on a little bit more. I've heard you talk about this from the perspective of how our minds create little trees within our brains. And those are the, the thoughts. Can you talk about this a little bit and expand on it? Because I think it all kind of ties together here. So if you think of a tree, a tree has branches and leaves, it has a tree trunk and it has roots. So the depression in this tree analogy, because that tree is now the thought, so the thing can be, I'm feeling depressed. So that's the name of the tree, depression. But now if you, or depressed, 
whatever. So then if you look a little deeper at that tree, you say, okay, that tree has is, has got like a, 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 a smell. Maybe it smells like a pine tree or it smells like sulfur or whatever. Um, so it's emanating a signal. That is your emotions and your physical response in your body. So instead of saying, I am depressed, you rather say, I am feeling depression as a symptom of something. There's a massive mm. difference there. Yeah. The one is getting you stuck, put your body into toxic stress, increases inflammation in your brain and body, lowers your immune response, increases cortisol, messes up your, your um, HPA axis, which is supposed to help you and not go against you, changes all the brain waves in your brain, the energy waves like delta, theta, gamma, alpha, beta, which are how the brain is working. It's the it's the life of the brain. They, instead of flowing in a beautiful waveform, they flow like a tsunami or they just don't flow at all. They go flatline or they just get all out of coherence or whatever. Instead of um, that, you get, if we don't, if we don't embrace it, um, if we just like, deny it or suppress it or label it and stick it in a box, then we create that chaos in the brain. And that's what, so, so when, but when we embrace it with the five steps, when we say, okay, I feel depressed, I acknowledge my depression, I'm terrified, I acknowledge that it's okay, then 1400 neurophysiological responses will work for you. So now instead of increased inflammation in your brain and body, you'll have decreased inflammation, you'll have decreased cortisol, your DNA changes, your DNA actually becomes stronger, you, you're making new cells, millions of new cells every second. The quality of those cells is based on how you're managing your mind. So if you keep in a toxic state of worrying, anxiety, etc., and denying things and thinking that you're ill, if you have um, a depression or something, you actually damage the DNA. So every cell of your body gets damaged. So you're actually getting weaker and weaker and you increase your vulnerability to disease by 75 to 98%. We don't want to do that, especially I mean, you think of COVID, we've got to get strong immune systems to fight COVID. The people that are fighting COVID have pretty strong immune systems. For the vaccine to work, we have to have strong immune systems. We have to have our mind. Our mind controls the effectiveness of our body's functioning. That's what I show you in this book. There's a direct correlation, a significant causative link between how we are managing our mind and how our physiological responses are happening. So the blood, the DNA, the brain, the heart, everything, okay, and, and our behaviors and cognition and relationships and entrepreneurial skills, all of that down the line is going to be affected in an instant. So the, neuro, the first step of the neurocycle is giving you a massive amount of control back over, your, over all these neurophysiological responses in your brain and your body. And it's a, it's a, even you might even be crying and still feeling depressed, but you, 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 the, the shift is it's a helpful depression or anxiety or whatever I'm feeling in my brain. And then maybe the tension or GI symptoms or heart palpitations, all of those are not bad. They are helpful. As soon as I gather, when I say the word gather and embrace, I'm seeing them as helpful. If I, if I see them as bad, all the other stuff happens. So you gather them in, in order to find out what, why do I feel like this? If we don't do the why, if we don't dissect and get down to the why, then it controls us. Our brain is not wired for toxicity. It's wired for love. Our mind is wired for optimism. Love and optimism are survival. Fear causes death. Your brain literally gets brain damage when you operate under any kind of toxicity. So if I'm feeling very anxious and worked up and I don't manage it, I'm causing damage in my brain. But if I'm feeling anxious and worked up, but I'm actually acknowledging it and doing something about it, even though I'm still feeling anxiety, my brain's, no, my brain's getting healed. 
Can you mm-hmm. see the difference there? So the neurocycle yeah. is helping you do that. So you gather awareness of it. Then you start saying, okay, well, now I know I feel depressed or I feel anxious or I feel frustrated or whatever. Now, what are my body signals? I feel symptoms in my GI. I'm having constant GI symptoms. Or I've got heart palpitations. Or I've got tremendous tension in my shoulders, whatever. You, you find out what's going on in your body. Why? Because when you build a memory, it doesn't just build in your brain. It also builds in every cell of your body. You have 37, 37 to 100 trillion cells in your brain and body. So you, every memory you build, every experience that you're having right now, every, what, what you're learning now is not only in your brain, it's also in your mind, in the quantum fields, gravitational fields, and it's in every single one of the trillions of cells of your body. You're building this into. That's why when there's um, toxicity or unmanaged mind, then we'll feel tension in our body. It's a message. It's like your alarm goes off in the morning to wake you up. This is a message to wake you up. You said a lot there, Dr. Leaf. Something I want to highlight, though, is that you said our brain is wired for love and optimism. This is a really powerful point, and I'm so glad that you shared that with us today. So now that we've gathered this awareness, what is our next step? Then the next step is once you've gathered that awareness, you don't want to just gather awareness. That is a big mistake. And in our current pop culture, even the motivational speak that you spoke about at the beginning, that in the entrepreneurial world, there's just the only mind stuff is motivational speak. Um, say five gratitude things or whatever. It's, it's not enough because it's just a band-aid on the wound. So you can't just throw something motivational, positive on top of and think you're going to succeed. You have to actually find out who you are, how you think, feel, and choose. That is how you will succeed as an entrepreneur. So if we if we take um, if we take this concept of thinking, feeling, and choosing to the next level, so once we gather awareness of it, if I just gather awareness, what we see from the research, and I showed this in my most recent clinical trials, if I just become aware that I'm depressed and with my emotional, but I don't actually now go to the next stages of questioning and actually reconceptualizing, I'm going to get worse. And I showed that with my patients and my subjects in my clinical trial and my patients over the years. So I showed that if you awake, because we create a tremendous awareness in our control group who'd got no, they didn't get the neurocycle. The experimental group got the neurocycle, the, but they all got the same testing. So they went through all the psychological testing. They told us the whole narrative of their life. They got all this blood testing, brain testing, DNA testing. So they were very aware of how they were feeling, but they didn't get any technique, any pro, any, how to deal with it any further. Whereas the neuro, the experimental group got the whole neurocycle. So they were taught how to gather awareness and to gather awareness in a safe space. So what I mean by that is that just before you gather awareness, like I've just described, you need to prepare your brain and your body. And how do you do that? Through things like deep breathing. So in these different ways of breathing and breathing just simply gets oxygen into your brain, starts reducing inflammation, starts getting balance between the front two sides of the front part of the brain, kind of acts as a reset when you get oxygen in. Also increases oxygen to the frontal lobe of your brain so that you can become more responsive and not reactive and less impulsive and all that kind of thing. So right. first you prepare your brain with breathing and with things like you tapping, whatever. There's a lot of little, little bit of exercise. You could do a few push-ups. So in other words, it's something it's oxygen plus something physical. And I explain that very carefully in the book. Then you go into the gathering awareness. So there's brain preparation, which is the breathing movement stuff, which gets your brain and body ready. It kind of prepares it. Um, and then you go to gather awareness. So that's step one, gathering awareness. Then you go to step two, which is deep reflection. Reflection is a beautiful word. Reflection is doing brain surgery. This whole thing, these five steps are doing, you're doing your own brain surgery, literally, but without the blood. So your reflex step is where you're putting your thoughts on trial, where you get curious, where you actually take that whole thought tree and you say, okay, 
Why do I have those emotional physical warning signals? What are my behaviors? What am I saying? What am I doing? What are, what are, what are, how am I responding in my relationships at work? So you dig deeper. It's like, okay, I'm depressed. That's my signal. I feel this. But why? Why am I feeling this? What is this awareness? What's the depth of this awareness? So you reflect, ask, answer, discuss. As you do that process, you then need to capture that. And we all hear about writing. A million reasons why writing is good. One of the main reasons is that when you write, you've got to do two phases of writing if you want to get the best out of writing. The first phase is step three. The second phase is step four of this neurocycle. In phase three, you write down, um, you're putting your brain on paper. You just pour whatever you've reflected on onto paper. doesn't matter how it looks. I recommend using a metacog, which is a system I developed 38 years ago, which I've also researched intensively, where you start in the middle of the page and you just grow branches, and you put your words onto branches in categories. So exactly what a tree looks like. One branch grows from another, from a tree trunk. The middle of the page, imagine, is your tree trunk, and then you grow one branch to another. I explain how to do that in the book. I also have this, the NeuroCycle app that goes with it that used to be called Switch, but it's now called the NeuroCycle. Um, and that essentially, um, when you write like that, what I've shown is that you can then tap into the depths of your non-conscious mind. You can really find um, your wisdom. We all are we all are made rewired for love. So we've got this inner core of wisdom. We, we, we all, it's that knowing in your knower. It's that I know what to do that's great. It's like a deep spiritual part of us. And then on top of that, we make all of our messes. So what right. we're doing with, with, these, with these five steps together, awareness, the reflect, and the writing in the metacog is we're tapping into that inner wisdom. By the time you write in the third step in this metacog form, you are pulling on you're starting to give yourself advice. You're starting to be able to self-regulate. Overarching this five, this neurocycle is this ability to self-regulate. And I've shown in my research, and there's a lot of scientific research around this, we can self-regulate every 10 seconds. Now, if you think of it, I said in the beginning, um, we don't even go three seconds without using our mind. We see from the science that this mind stuff is happening at 400 billion actions per second on the non-conscious level. On the conscious level, we're aware of it every 10 seconds. So we can literally learn to self-regulate through every 10 seconds. So essentially, the fourth step then is to recheck what we've written, where you find patterns, you do a mental autopsy, you find, so you go back and you look and you sort, etc. And then the fifth step is an act of reach which is some sort of an action that keeps you um, anchored back in a mental space. So it could be something as simple as for every negative toxic um, statement around that particular um, thoughts that you're working on, you balance it with three because we see neuro neurophysiologically that if you balance one with three, it brings you back to a more healthy mental state. could be as simple as don't say if only today. could be as simple as um, it, it's just it's basically a statement that just closes off the cycle for the day. So once again, because I want to make sure that we're really capturing these five steps, they are gather, reflect, write, recheck, then active reach. Those are the five steps of the neurocycle. Now, I have a question. How often can we use this process for it to work effectively? Now, that neurocycle is once again, how you manage your mind. So you can use, if our mind is working every three seconds, that means that you can use that neurocycle all the time. So you can use it in five seconds, 10 seconds, five minutes. So you can use it, like let's say you're having a conversation and someone says something to you and it throws you. You can do a neurocycle to very quickly in your mind bring you back into that uh, that positive mental space. So you can immediately, okay, I'm feeling that, they said this, I'm feeling that jolt in my stomach, I'm feeling a tremendous like frustration for what they're saying. Why am I feeling this? Because, well, they're saying it in such an ugly way or I don't think it's justified. Um, maybe what, or, or what they, so you can question, 
why, why are they saying that? You you don't have time to maybe write, but you could visualize. So if you don't have time, you can the third step can turn into a visualization where you actually visualize what it is that that person is trying to say. What are they trying to achieve? So you start seeing it as seeing it as a, as a visual image. Then your recheck would be to go back and say, okay, well, how can I see this from another angle? What's my re, how do I reconceptualize this? How can I deconstruct and reconstruct this? And then you would go to okay, I'm going to say this. So. If I go through that very quickly, here someone says to you and you, oh, anxiety, oh, jolt in my stomach. Why am I feeling this? Okay, they've said something that's thrown me. Okay, I'm visualizing their face, what they're saying, um, what that means to me. It makes me feel like this. It's not right. I'm doing this. Okay, now recheck. Okay, so what is going on here? Do they have a point? Can you put yourself in their shoes? Okay, they're actually saying this. I think they mean that. What's my active reach? I'm going to ask them what they mean. Okay, you've hurt me. I'm feeling totally frustrated. Did you mean this? Have I got you wrong? So my active reach is then to say, okay, have I misunderstood you? This is how I've read what you've just said to me. Did you mean that? And that, and that, that would be the active reach. Now that would diffuse the situation because let's say that you didn't do the five steps. Your chances are that you would have snapped back or argued back. or And then by that stage, there's neurochemical chaos which means there isn't cognitive flexibility, which means you can't see the other, and then the fight happens. And then maybe there's this, you know, okay, we'll just leave it, and but then it's not really left. And then that builds and builds over time and it can damage the, what's it, that's just a simple example. Right. Or you catch yourself people pleasing, or you catch yourself, you read a comment on social media that throws you, you can get it under control. Or you wake up in the morning with a burst of anxiety and you, why am I feeling this? You do a five step to control it. You can do a five step to get you sleeping. You can do five step. So that's the in the moment. I call that neurocycle life hacks. But the neurocycle is also a tool that you can then deliberately and intentionally use in a therapeutic sense. You can kind of give yourself therapy where you allocate a 15 to 45 minute block in every day. And you do this as a lifestyle. And in that block, you work on a one thought over 63 days. Now, a thought is a tree. And think of a tree. A tree is made of branches and roots. So the branches on the tree, there's lots of branches. It could be a thousand branches and maybe a hundred thousand roots. I'm just making something mm -hmm. up. So that that those branches and roots represent the memories of the thought. So when I say to people think of one thought, they say, but I can't just think of one thing. No, you're not thinking of one thing. You're thinking of one thought. It's the concept, but it's got thousands of memories. So when you bring that thought up, you're going to have thousands of things going through your head, hundreds or hundreds hundreds of thousands and each so so one you work on one concept which is one thought over 63 days so let's say you were traumatized as a child and you've never dealt with that trauma and it's affected relationships and now you're in therapy and suddenly now you are things get worse before they get better which is the treatment effect so you're now seeing oh gosh this is why this actually happened to me i've suppressed this trauma i didn't realize it's made me feel this and this that work that what I've just described in a big picture, you can do daily using the five steps over this over to, over sixty three days. The first twenty one days, you would use the five steps for fifteen to forty five minutes. You go through it sequentially. So if it's fifteen minutes, you're then going to spend more or less three minutes on each step. If you spend forty five minutes, it's a little bit longer on each step. Obviously, the writing steps, step four and five, tend to take three and four take the longest to do. Um, and then by day from day twenty two to sixty three. You simply do step five. Now, why 63 days? Because it takes that long to form a habit. It does not take 21 days to form a habit. It takes 63. I am so glad that you just mentioned that because I think there's a lot of misinformation out there about habit forming being a 21-day process, not a 63-day process, but you've done the research. So thank you.
Yeah. So, and there's very little research on it. And that's why I decided to do research on it. There's like three other people that I found that have done, and they've said it's somewhere between 63 and 66. So I tested that theory and showed neurologically in the brain where you get the peaks, when automatization happens. And what that means is that at day 21, we get a sustainable long-term thought built. So we get long-term memories in the thought tree, but it takes, but it's, it's not strong yet. It's very weak. It takes another um, 60, 42 days of using that consciously and deliberately, that new way of thinking or that new behavior, whatever, for another 60, uh, 42 days before it actually automatizes, which means it becomes part of your mental makeup. It's wired into your brain and in your mind and in your body so you can use it. If you don't do the extra 42 days, you won't use it. So you won't see the behavior change. You won't see the, emo the changes in how you're communicating or in your relationship so you'll know you must make the change but you're not doing it to not just know it but to actually do it you need 63 days to get the the, the behavioral change impact so that's a consistent daily thing so in the book in the second half as you saw i teach you how to use the five steps to detox trauma um, and trauma could be big trauma little trauma which is still just as bad but it's like bullying maybe over time versus a sexual trauma in one or two incidents and you get acute trauma which is unexpected like when COVID hit us or when you know something out of the blue someone dies or you lose a job or there's a shock to something so it's that acute trauma so we need to know how to manage those because if we don't manage those all the things I've said will happen the brain neurophysiology whatever we just get more and more sucked into and then I also explain how to use it to build a new habit so like if you want to building a good eating plan or a good exercise plan or a good entrepreneurial daily workout that you can actually then impact your business in a positive way you would do that over if you want to change or if you want to be a successful entrepreneur you're going to have to identify the skills as you know but you're going to have to practice them over 63 days so you can use the five steps to actually grow whatever skill it is that you need or find out to find out what do I need it might take you these five steps over 63 days to find out what it is that you need to do or change in your business in order to go to the next level as an entrepreneur so there's an example in your world and a big part of being an entrepreneur is the first half the first part of the second part of the book where I talk about using the neurocycle to brain build to become a successful entrepreneur you're going to have to have knowledge your brain thrives on knowledge if it doesn't get knowledge every day it actually becomes more toxic you will lose your creativity. What you need for an entrepreneurial, as you know, you need cognitive flexibility in order to get creative. You want to actually release, you want a certain flow of alpha, beta, and gamma, and theta flowing in a very coordinated way with bursts of beta. You want that for the creativity required to be a successful entrepreneur. But if you're not managing your mind, the mental health, the relationship, all the, the toxic traumas, listen, if you've got an undealt with toxic trauma or undealt with bad habit, it is going to affect the creativity required to be a successful entrepreneur. So alongside dealing with the toxic stuff, you can also use the five steps to do a very creative process. So the brain building is how you use the five steps to build stuff in your brain, to find the solutions you're looking for, to grow your brain, which builds brain resilience and brain health. And then at the same time, you can then allocate uh, allocate time to work on the traumas and things and then at the same time you can use the, the five steps for life hacks so it's not a technique it's how you direct your mind your mind's always changing so my argument is you may as well direct the change okay there was a long answer to the five <laughs> steps but try to make it as access sort of as simple as possible so far far away if you want some questions or to make it easier oh no that was so helpful this has been like the the most scientific and insightful episode i think we've ever done here you, you really really dove into that that was 
really helpful. And I like the way that you tied it back into to being an entrepreneur. And I, I think there's something that you that you mentioned in the book that has really stood out to me. And it's that whatever we think about the most is what grows, right? That's what's actually that's what we're feeding is whatever yes. we think of the most, whether it's a negative yes. or positive, we have to be really, we have to really focus on this if we want to grow in the proper way with our, our creative minds, like as an entrepreneur, your creative mind is, is really, that's your craft. That's what's going to make things change. So there's, there's just so much here that you shared that's really valuable information. And I, I definitely thank you for your time. I know that it's limited. So I want to say thank you so much for, uh, for sharing all this today. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. And I'm so glad you brought up about um, whatever you think about the most grows, because it is when you're thinking about something, when you think you'll feel and when you think and feel you'll choose. So when you think, feel and choose about something, you're actually giving it more energy, you're growing more branches, because thoughts look like trees in the brain. So you're growing more branches, and you're making them stronger. And, and that's why over the 63 days, what you're thinking about is actually growing. So we can do the 63 days in a negative way. If you spend nine weeks focusing on something toxic, you've made it a big thing in your brain doesn't mean you can't fix it because your brain can change so it'll take you 63 days to kind of unpack that sometimes it can take us multiple cycles if there's a lot of trauma which has had a lot of time to grow so if you've never dealt with something or you've got a habit that you've been using toxic habit or way of responding that you've been doing for 63 let's say for 63 years or 20 years or five years it's been there longer you might need a couple of neurocycles before you actually get that under control but the point is here is that you can get control. And that's really all I'm teaching is we all a mental mess. And what we need to recognize is mind is first cause. If you don't get your mind under control, everything else is a mess. Love that. We do have power to be in control of our minds and what we believe. Well, Dr. Leaf, this has been an insightful episode. I know that I'm going to be going back and listening to it a few times over to really grasp everything that you share with us today. And I'm sure the listeners will be doing the same thing. So thank you so much for being a guest. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you for the interview. And thank you for letting me talk so much. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> Glad to have you here. <laughs> thank you so much. When I first learned that people's lifespan is actually getting shorter, it made me realize how important this topic was for us to cover. Yes, even on an entrepreneurship podcast. And that's because as entrepreneurs, we need to take care of ourselves because we are serving the world and we want to be able to do that for as long as we can and as healthy as we possibly can. So I also want to encourage you to download Dr. Leaf's app and also to re-listen this episode a few times to make sure that you really captured all the wisdom that she shared with us. Dr. Leaf, thank you again for being a guest and helping us get control of our minds so we can live happier, healthier lives. To pick up a copy of Dr. Caroline Leaf's book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, and for a link to her NeuroCycle app and her podcast, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 086. Thank you as always for listening. I'm looking forward to bringing another Masterclass episode next week. Music.